quick recap here in just a moment of the first three lessons, but this is kind of our theme where it says, let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. Everybody says, there is no power but of God. That word power references, uh, references or it rather includes authority. There is no power, there is no authority but that which is of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. See, now he's talking about authorities. Whosoever therefore resists the power, resists the ordinance of God, and they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. This is a serious thing that we're talking about here today. And this is something that you have to get right or you will not grow in God. Matter of fact, not only will you not grow, but you likely will end up shipwrecked spiritually if you do not have this principle right. Now, as I said many times, preface this with saying, I know that when we teach this, you know, we're te- it's 12, 12 weeks, we have 20 minutes. <laughs> the first time I thought this, I had an hour, so it's 12 hours, we're cutting it in third. So there's a lot of what ifs and, and what about this and that and the other, we have 20 minutes, okay? That's all the time we have. So we are not going to cover every single what if. Furthermore, I know that there's been a lot of people that have always, matter of fact, I'll just say this, if you're in this place and you are alive and breathing, you probably have been hurt on some level by somebody that was in a position of authority over you. And hopefully it wasn't very deep, but probably there's people that have been hurt deeply by those in authority. Now, we're not just talking about pastoral authority, but whether it's authority in the home, authority in the government, um, you know, authority on your job or at school, on some level at college or whenever you were in grade school, somebody took your cookie away and you were bitter ever since. You know, or... Whatever it was, if that's the worst that's happened to you, man, I would love to have lived in your shoes. <laughs> because the rest of us have had a, a, probably a little bit tougher than that. But here's a short review. First of all, God is the source of all authority. Now, he doesn't control always, or I don't, I, I'm going to rephrase that. I think he does control, or rather sometimes he allows it, authority figures to be in place. But, but, but the authority that they operate in was ordained by God. The first thing that God initiated after he created Adam and Eve and the earth was finished was he created or he initiated authority in the earth. He Rather, he established it. And he gave it to Adam. Adam lost it and Satan ended up with it. And Christ took it back and he gave it to the church. Aren't you glad for that? Whatever you bind on earth, Jesus said, is bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth is loosed in heaven. So we should have no problem with authority because when you meet authority, you meet God. And it's important to recognize that. And secondly, submission is always absolute, but obedience is relative to the situation. Okay, only God gets unquestioned obedience. Okay, God has not called any of us to be pink Kool-Aid drinkers. All right, if you, if you know what that reference means, okay. Okay, God, is, God has not called any of us to, to be that. Nevertheless, there is authority, and we have to follow our leaders as they follow Christ. Okay, there are, there are good leaders. There are good bosses. I have a really good boss right now. But I've had some, some real knuckleheads for bosses in the past. And you know what? Even though they were knuckleheads, and even though they mistreated me, I still had to obey them. Now... If they tell me to go out and go get high on pot and drink it up, I'm not going to do that. So I'm not going to be obedient to that. But neither am I going to badmouth them because now my spirit's wrong. So you see how submission is always absolutely, always should maintain a submissive spirit, a kind heart towards them. 
but you don't always obey leaders if they ask you to do something that is in Scripture. So that's the balance. So, so what I said was not, you know, was not if you don't like what they tell you to do, then you don't have to do it. That is not what I said. If it is against the Scripture, if it is against reasonable conscience, okay, or just plain general common sense, Okay, then, then if it's not against any of those things, then we should be submissive and obedient. So, for example, if pastor right now tells me, you know what, I'm going to sit you down from everything, and I need you to sit for one year. I don't know why God told me to. I'm going to do that. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't cop an attitude. I can, I'll say this publicly. I would not cop an attitude. <laughs> you might enjoy the break, actually. <laughs> I would uh, practice my guitar and, and get better at the guitar and love on my family and wife and, and, and read the Word of God and listen to preaching, and I'd be okay. And I would not have an attitude about it at all. And that's what we should have, okay? But there's people that, you know, get a fighting spirit, okay? And, and you can't do that. You have, to be, you have to have a submissive spirit. There's an element of spiritual authority that is different than positional authority. The working of the gifts of the spirit are a result, as we heard last week from Brother James, did a great job, are a result of seeking God in prayer and fasting. The gift of faith, the gift of, uh, of the operation of miracles and wonders and etc. Those, 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 those gifts of the Spirit, those nine gifts of the Spirit are a result of the bestowment of God upon somebody for His divine purpose. Now sometimes they rest on a person for a specific reason or, 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 a specific, or like a, it, it's a one-time thing God uses. Generally how it works for me at least is, you know, it, as God wills it, okay? But sometimes God just grants you have this gift, and you can operate in it at any time, and it's your, it's your gift, okay? So there are two different elements to that. So that's what I mean. So there's an element to spiritual authority that we're talking about that. And so there's, there's a different aspect to spiritual authority. We're talking about positional authority. Now, it's interesting. We, you know, not just we in this church, but generally abroad in the God's church at large is clamoring for leaders, and that's a good thing. Leadership is good. We have to have leaders. But the Bible talks about servants a lot more than it talks about leaders. Matter of fact, it really only devotes a couple of verses. And, a, and the book of Corinthians calls it governments, which, which is what we would call leaders, how God has devoted people in the church that have the gift of governments. Or they're good leaders. They're good delegators. They just, they have it. And others are good followers and they're good people and, and their reward will be the same if they operate in whatever gifting that they have. But they're just not leaders in governments. And that's fine because we all can't be chiefs. Some of us have to be Indians, right? Okay, so, uh, so today let's talk about a man named David and what he can teach us about spiritual authority. Let's look at 1 Samuel chapter 16. And I want to read verse 6 through 12, which says, And it came to pass... When they were come, that he looked on Eliab, he, referring to Samuel the prophet, and said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. Eliab's the oldest of the sons of Jesse. But the Lord said unto Samuel, Look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature, because I refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man sees. It doesn't say, I didn't choose him. It says, I have refused or rejected him. There's a reason for that, which we'll get to in just a moment. For man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, Neither hath the Lord chosen this. Then Jesse made Shammah to pass by and said, Neither hath the Lord chosen this. And again, Jesse made seven of his sons to pass before Samuel. And Samuel said unto Jesse, The Lord hath not chosen these. And Samuel said unto Jesse, Are these all thy children? And he said, There remaineth yet the youngest. And behold, he keeps sheep. 
Samuel said unto Jesse, send and fetch him, for he will not sit down till he come hither. We will not sit down till he come hither. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and willow of a beautiful countenance and goodly to look to. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him, for this is he. So notice that even the prophet Samuel thought that the eldest, who was Eliab, was the one that God would use to be the second king of Israel. And we know that because Samuel, when he looked at Eliab, said, surely this, this is the one. Surely this is the man. He was probably strong, and he had the look of a real leader and a real king, just like King Saul had. Remember that Samuel was also the one who had anointed Saul. And Saul, as your Bible tells you, stood head and shoulders above everybody else. He was the tribe of the tribe of Benjamin, and, uh, and you know, Saul was real humble in that day. And, but but there, there came a time when he was not humble anymore. But the first choice of a king was for the people, to give the people what they wanted. When they said, give us a king. And God said, okay, I'm going to give you what you want, but you're not going to like it. And they said, we don't care, give it to us anyway. And the second choice was who God wanted. God was saying, I'm going to tr- let you try it your way and let you see how it works. And Saul failed miserably. Now, Josephus said that David was probably about 10 years of age when he was anointed to be king of Israel. Can you imagine a 10-year-old boy? How old is Jude? What, eight, nine? Eight. So, two years older than Jude. And anointed to be king over an entire nation. Other historians said that he was about 15, so somewhere between 10 and 15 years of age, he was young. Also, there was likely a big age difference between David and his brothers. And we know this because that would explain why Jesse thought to not even bring David in before Samuel. Well, if he's only 10 years old, why would you bring him in when you've got Eliab? Surely this is the Lord's anointed. Because look at Saul. I mean, Saul was a great king too. He was strong. He was handsome, the Bible says. And he he was tall. Stood head and shoulders above everybody. He was the kind of leader you would expect God to choose. He was the kind of person you would, uh, you would vote on. You know, the kind of person that you could bake your confidence in. You know, he just exuded confidence. And so there was likely this age difference. So that would explain why, why Jesse didn't even think to bring David in. But God had to reject seven others before Samuel even got to ask about David. Is there anybody else that you have? Furthermore, there was no love lost likely between David and his brothers. We know this because the very next chapter in 1 Samuel 17, the Bible records this. And Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spake unto the men. And Eliab's anger was kindled against David. And he said, Why did you come down hither? And with whom hast thou left those few sheep in the wilderness? Can you see the condensation in his voice? Who did you leave these few sheep with? I know thy pride and the naughtiness of thine heart. For thou art come that thou mightest see the battle. God had just told Samuel in the presence of Eliab and all of his brothers, I don't look as man sees, I see David's heart. And now Eliab is saying, I know his heart. I know your heart, David. I don't really know what's in your heart. Apparently Eliab knows better than God. Are you seeing now why maybe God didn't choose Eliab? Eliab rebuked David for even showing up on the battlefield. And this was after David in the very presence of Eliab had been anointed as king when the oil had been poured down on top of his head. And as it dripped down off his head, he probably still had some residue left on his fingertips and on his hair. 
And he, David shows up to the battlefield, and Eliab says, you know, who do you think you are? I know the naughtiness of your heart. The problem with Eliab was, was even though he had all, you know, like he had the resume right, but where he was wrong was in his character and his spirit. He did not know and understand authority. And even though David was younger than him and his little brother, he could not submit to a leader like that. Now, later, Eliab did change because David made him ruler over, his, over his, his army. But that's another story. So David was constantly overlooked by his father and by his brothers. Later on, as David worked under King Saul, Saul turned against him really badly, and he was wronged, and he was wrongly blamed. Look at 1 Samuel 18 and verse 6, which says, And it came to pass, as they came, when David was returned from the slaughter of the Philistines, that the women came out of all the cities of Israel, singing and dancing to meet King Saul, and with tabrets, with joy and with instruments of music. And the women answered one another as they played and said, Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens thousands. Now that probably wasn't the smartest thing for them to be singing in the presence of King Saul. And Saul was very angry and the saying displeased him. Of course it did. And he said, they have ascribed to David ten thousands and to me they have only ascribed thousands. And what can he have more but the kingdom? And Saul eyed David from that day forward. This is where Saul's backsliding really began. Right here. Right here in this very spot. The jealousy that rose up from King Saul. King Saul started off as a goodly man without equal in all of Israel. He was humble. He was kind. And later on, when God's spirit came upon him, he was brave. And it made him a leader, a strong leader, as, as you can see from Scripture. But he was rejected by God for usurping the authority of the prophet, and the spirit that was on him went on David. And 1 Samuel chronicles the fall of King Saul from a goodly man to a reprobate king who despised God's anointed. Saul, furthermore, persecuted David. Uh, first, he tried to kill him multiple times. Even at one point when David was sitting at his table, Saul threw a javelin at him, and it should have struck and killed David right then, thus extinguishing the lineage of the Messiah. And that's what Satan was really probably trying to do through King Saul. Saul was a tormented man. He was a very tormented man. Uh, but, but God allowed David to escape. Furthermore, Saul hunted David down like an animal, forcing David to run for his life many, many times. You can read all throughout Scripture how you know David wrote entire Psalms. Psalms 34, where David said, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. It was was whenever uh, King Saul was hunting down David like a wild animal. Uh, and, and David had to, you know, had, had to feign himself act as a madman to disguise himself. You know, had to, had to have a spittle fall down onto his beard and act, act you know, kind of crazy and psycho. And, and, and David went back to his cave after that encounter, and he said, I will bless the Lord at all times. And so David, God was working on David's character during this time. But all the while, young David... Uh, Young David was Saul's son-in-law, personal musician, and armor bearer. And furthermore, David called him my father. There was maybe something that was missing in the life of David with David, his own father. But, that, but even if there wasn't, it shows you the tenderness and the love that David had towards Saul, even after all Saul had done to him. Before David was allowed to be king, God tested him to see if he could submit and keep his spirit right with an evil leader. 1 Samuel 24, verse 2 says, Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men out of all Israel, and went to seek David and his men upon the rocks of the wild goats. 
And he came to the sheep coach, by the way, where, where was a cave, and Saul went in to cover his feet. And David and his men remained in the sides of the cave. And the men of David said unto him, Behold, the day of which the Lord said unto thee, Behold, I will deliver thine enemy into thy hand, that you can do with him as it seems good to you. Then David arose and cut off the skirt of Saul's robe privately. And it came to pass afterwards that David's heart smote him because he had cut off Saul's skirt. And he said unto his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this thing unto my master. The Lord's anointed to stretch forth my hand against him, seeing as he is the anointed of the Lord. This happened twice. Where David, when it appeared like God had delivered David's enemy into David's hand. But here was the problem. Others around David considered Saul David's enemy. But David never considered Saul his enemy. And that's why he never slew him. I think there was something in the life of David in his heart where David understood authority so much that he knew, again, I, this is just what I think, that I think David knew God is using King Saul to work in me something that I need when I'm going to be king. Remember that this was the same lad who passed, had been passed over by his own father and despised brass brothers. So if anyone had a reason to have a chip on his shoulder, it was David. But he always kept a right spirit. On top of it all, David knew Saul was spiritually tormented and a reprobate leader whom God's own spirit had departed from. And it would have been easy for David in this moment to be deceived by his own heart and justify the slaughtering of a king in the name of righteous indignation and slaying his enemies. But David understood God's authority and God's anointing. And he understood this, Romans 11 and 29, for the gifts and the calling of God are without repentance. That means that that the leaders that God anoints, until God removes them, it's not up to us to touch them. God's spirit may have departed from King Saul, but his appointment to that office hadn't been taken away yet. In short, God simply was not done. His mercy had not run out yet on King Saul. And even though his anointing had left him, the mercy and the goodness of God continued to lead or, or to attempt to talk to Saul and to pull him back. And that is one of the biggest reasons why David never touched King Saul. David knew that being in the subjection to authority is not being subjected to a person, but rather being subjected to the anointing of the Lord upon that person. We have to remember that when we're talking about authority. It's even, you know, again, all authority extends from God. Even the authority on your job extends from God. God has ordained authority in the earth. And so that authority comes from God. When you meet authority, you meet God. So in short, I know my time is up. It's 1030. Let's stand. I just want to simply leave you with this. How can God trust you with spiritual authority if you can't submit to authority? It really is that simple. Because we can, you know, it's easy to submit to humble leaders. But the real test of character doesn't come with the humble ones comes with the froward ones. comes with the ones who are a little more difficult to submit to. And it comes whenever we have been wronged deeply by authority, but God still calls us to submit. And I will tell you this. Whenever you submit, that's where healing will begin to come into your life. And the blessings of God will fall upon you. Amen. Let's lift our hands to God and let's just thank God for his word today. Thank you.
your wisdom.